0: Curious about the latest in the world of freight and how it impacts you and your business? Dive into our exclusive release of the U.S. Bank Freight Payment Index. Gain deep insights from the billions of transactions they handle each quarter. Visit usbank.com forward slash freight hyphen index to explore the release and sign up for quarterly updates. For a dynamic take on this information and to learn what's happening now in the business world, stay in the loop by subscribing to Supply Chain Now on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges, and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Scott Luton here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. Big show today as we continue our reverse logistics leadership series here at Supply Chain Now. And today, we're going to kind of get a state of the union of sorts from one of the leading voices in all of reverse logistics and returns management. So with that said, join me in welcoming one of our dear friends, longtime repeat guests, featured guest here today, Tony Sciroda, Executive Director of the Reverse Logistics Association. Tony, how you doing?
0: I'm doing great, Scott. Hello to you and to everyone in your community. I love the uh, Supply Chain Now Broadcast Network as the voice of the reverse logistics industry. I love it,
1: Scott. Man, that's beautiful to my ears. But, you know, I want to point something out because there's all kinds of folks that make up the associational space, right? But you, Tony, some of our folks may not recall that you were doing big things in this space, the reverse space, the return space with Philips for like a couple of decades prior to leading RLA. Is
0: that right? Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I was a sales guy, happy-go-lucky sales guy, most of my life at Sony for a few years. I never saw returns at Phillips. It was a number you got hit with at the end of the month. Uh, And then that one day they picked me out of a hat and said, oh, go fix the returns problem. It's only like (laughs) 12% uh, returns in electronics. and. you know, i am I feel very fortunate to have found the right people to have learned from and to have made a huge difference. it It doesn't make me a rock star or anything that cool, but it's it's an acknowledgement that you can make a huge difference to your company, and i've I've been very fortunate
1: to be successful at that. It was amazing to me. I look back. It was amazing. Tony, you're too humble. Uh, And I've heard some of the story behind the story, which, you know, in terms of impact and the innovation and the ideas. And, you know, before we get into a a fun warm up topic, would you agree that your introduction, right? uh, You didn't go to school for reverse logistics or returns management. You know, would you agree that that was kind of a lot of folks got their start in the reverse and the return side kind of like you?
0: I think so. Actually, it's unfortunate, Scott. I think a lot of them come out of the finance and service world, mm. and that's just the wrong approach to solving the problem. But coming from the sales side, you're trying to resolve things, make things work, make things happen. But in my history of of sales and marketing, they tended to get in the way. We call them bumps in the road, you know, <laughs> to, be, to be successful in a partnership with, with a retailer and sell a lot of product. They could be bumps in the road. So coming from a different background, I think was uh, was an advantage. And uh, and to your point, now we'll get to education later because we really are lacking. No one grows up to be a a returns person.
1: Not yet, not yet. And there's going to be some Tony Shirota underoos out in the market before we know it. Okay. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, You know that that mind to create value, that mindset to create value. and and to fix things and to create uh, happiness for all parties. Those are some of the things I hear as you were describing your start in this space. So before we dive into a lot more reverse logistics and returns, which to our listeners, those are not new phrases for you, right? Right. That's been a growing area of importance across global business. And we've tried to elevate those conversations in partnership with Tony and all of his uh, friends for the last couple of years now. So folks that may know that may also know, Tony, you're a big music fan, right? And you love, as do many others, thousands, hundreds of thousands of others, Jazz Fest down in beautiful and historic New Orleans. So question for you, two questions for you. What's a couple of your reasons why you go back to Jazz Fest each year? Let's we'll start with that, and then I'm going to pick your brain on some of the bands you'd caught.
0: Well, yes, it is a passion for me, and, and I think I'm approaching about 25 years of going there, and I love the fact that you call it Jazz Fest, most people do, and they think immediately like Miles Davis and Wynton Marcellus, and it's so much more than that. When you think about 10 stages, everything from gospel to blues, to old jazz, to new jazz, to Cajun music stage, urban music stage, it's, it's legendary. And, and I also love Scott, you know, there's a number of music festivals around the country and concerts to go to. But the average age of many of them tends to be in the low 20s. The average age of people who come to Jazz Fest from all over the world is probably in the mid-40s. Okay. So that means it's a little more mature crowd that really lo- goes to there for the music, not for whatever other reasons people have done. <laughs> you know, and, and and the idea that you go from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m., And then in the evening, you go hear more shows. And some of the artists who are there, you know, Stevie Wonder played at the Royal Sinesta Hotel Piano Lounge one year. Wow! You know, how often is that going to happen in in your lifetime, you know, to to see John Goodman get up on stage between, uh, you know, some of these artists and start to play harmonica? You know, it's Mm. it's just Pete Fountain. He got on stage with Pete Fountain. You know, behind them, walked up behind, starts playing with. It's just, it's it's amazing. You know, you mentioned some of the names of who's been there. It is a who's who, but I got to tell you, last year uh, was the second time the Who were at Jazz Fest. And they put on an unbelievable show um, with a big local orchestra. Did a lot of bits from Tommy and Quadrophenia. Just amazing. It's always great to go see new and find those new artists. Like Gary Clark before he became famous as a blues player, um, you know, or, or Marsha Ball has been doing it for thirty years. So there's all kinds of of people, and and I love discovering the new, greatest, latest, and 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 amazing musicians. That's that's what makes it special. But thanks for asking. It it you got to get there one day, Scott. You, you just got to get there.
1: Hey, you you've just made that become a bucket list item. How you described all that, and I bet to many of our listeners too. And, you know, Tony, we've talked about Jazz Fest uh, on shows and and kind of at lunches and stuff, kind of behind the scenes. And I've always understood your passion for it. But, man, it came out. You exuberantly spoke about Jazz Fest there. So we're going to definitely meet there in New Orleans soon. So we got to you shared some of your famous acts. I want to get into another big event. Right. And by all accounts, both first parties, third parties, industry observers, Biggest and the best annual conference that the Reverse Logistics Association has put on just took place a couple of months ago. Y'all've got quite a track record there. Greg White and I both, and other team members, have been really honored to be a part of those in the past. But this past one, just from a couple months ago, seems like it it took it to a whole new level. What's a couple of key takeaways from this year's event?
0: Oh, Scott, you're so right. You know, the first one was in 2003. And there's never been one as big as this. We had 830 registrations, people showing up, as you said, from all walks of life, wanting to do something about returns and making a difference. And and that's just so important. And this year, the key takeaways are we covered a lot of ends of the spectrum. We had Becca Mines, who's SVP of end-to-end logistics at, at Best Buy. And she was amazing and she's just also very passionate. You see a lot of passionate people in this space. And the other keynote was Nabil Nasser from the Remade Institute has been the father of remanufacturing in other industries, not automotive, which has been going on forever. So there's there's that end-to-end logistics. What do you do with the stuff? It's becoming more of a circular economy. But we also did a couple of cool things. We had the awards. And we took them very serious this year. I even wore a tuxedo, Scott. I put it on (laughs) to hand out the awards because it's important to take it serious. And uh, we had some great nominations, people who are very creative and innovative in this space, which we need. We also introduced the concept of the RL startup pitch. And uh, we did
1: a shark tank for startup companies in the RL space. I love that. That's one of my favorite. I hate to miss this year, but that was one of my favorite elements y'all have added. And I saw a lot of success, a lot of great new stories and voices as a part of that.
0: That's exactly the point, Scott. Um, 15 companies applied. We narrowed it down to about six. We had five people as judges from the industry, investors, as well as people who are knowledgeable. And that was so well received. And so I'd say that the, the key takeaways are People are making a difference now. People are paying attention. It used to be the joke, Scott, used to be, you'd ask a company who's in charge of your returns and they'd never know. Or the question of what do you do with your returns? And nobody ever really knew. And now there's more attention being paid. So the, the takeaway is there's more attention than ever and finding ways to make a difference. And mm-hmm. the fight, Scott, You know, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in content. Uh, You and I love to share good content about how we can make a difference in the industry. And you always find the best speakers to talk about, you know, high level ideas. So content fights with networking, right? (laughs) So you're here in Las Vegas and and you're only there for three days and and you want to meet everybody, but you want to hear great material. It's just a constant battle. We actually learn to reduce the number of sessions, give people a little more time to connect. But the real takeaway is the RL pitch competition uh, was a big one, the awards. And by the way, we did that cell phones for soldiers charity, Top Golf. Yep. And we doubled the amount of money. We're, we're approaching $25,000 in, in charity donations. That's awesome. And I'm very proud of that. You know, that's one of our local uh, charities as well. Such a great story. You've heard it. Again, the key takeaway is there are really smart people in this industry. Go listen to them, go talk to them.
1: Yeah. I love that. The picture you paint there where you're, you're broadening the tent uh, for all folks from all different walks of life, functional areas, sectors, to meet others, exchange market intel, exchange ideas, to network, but then also to serve. You know, serving the startup community, which of course we hold near and dear here, to serve charities, especially uh, charitable efforts for our fellow veterans, which we're very passionate about. And then, of course, how folks can connect and no telling. I tell you, one of these days, Tony, You are going to have to do a debrief on the months that follow the event, because I bet there's a lot of big outcomes that are um, kind of under the surface level that probably started with with sidebar conversations at the uh, RLA conference.
0: Absolutely true. And those are the biggest testimonials we get and the biggest compliments about that afterwards. People like yourselves are recognizing that reverse is about returns. It's
1: about customer satisfaction. It's about meeting expectations. Let's go broader here right, for far too long, the reverse space, the return space, it has unfortunately been under the radar, right, and it's not been a priority for way too long, and, and and you, thanks to your leadership, your team's leadership, many folks on your board, and of course, what we're trying to do, we see that slowly, not not fast enough, but still, it's, it's slowly changing, so when you look at at global industry, right, what has been one of the coolest developments that you've seen in the returns reverse space so far here in 2023?
0: Well, there's there's a couple of major developments going on. One is a business development that we should talk about, and the other is coolest in terms of the software that's now out there, Scott, so that these return products can be dispositioned. So a scan of the UPC by the system immediately searches the internet. What's the value of that product in the secondary market. Okay. And it helps make a business decision. What do you do with this return? Do you liquidate it? Do you resell it into the secondary market? Do you sell it on your own website? Do you develop special business channels for these goods? It really, really has made the difference in that area. Now, That software also provides interesting business developments because we're talking now about seismic shifts in the industry and a seismic shift would be that these products are starting to be identified as frequent returners. And let's talk about, you know, the big kahuna who's now putting a badge on some products on their website saying frequently returned. That's, seismic, right? Right. It's huge and around the world you've also started to see major retailers, Zara comes to mind, that are charging now for returns. Limited. It's it's like a little leak in the dam, but the dam's going to break because <laughs> we can't afford it anymore, right? It's just too costly. And it's a supply chain issue as well as others, the cost of moving this stuff. So to see seismic shifting and, you know, let's recognize the big kahuna has even announced a, a charge for returns. Yes. If they're not dropped off at certain retailers and they're dropped off at another place, then there's a slight charge.
1: And, and hey, just a level set with our listeners, when, when Tony says the big kahuna, and we can put it out there because it's public knowledge, that's, of course, Amazon. As we all know, Tony, and it sounds so cliche by me saying that, but I think it's really important just for precedence, they changed the whole game, Yes. right? When it comes to not just e-commerce, but also how returns were handled, and as a byproduct, how much more work and resources went into a reverse logistics and returns management. And so, Tony, I'm not putting any words in your mouth, but as they change their policy, uh, as you kind of implied, that's going to have a big ripple effect to others, <laughs> their competitors that have been, you know, trying to keep up with right. their policies for so long. And the beautiful part here. I believe, and I think, Antonio, I'd love to get your take here, because I think we're going to see a lot more tightening in this space where consumers will have more skin in the game. But that will allow our industry, it'll give it more leeway to make some of those big sustainable or, or permanent gains when it comes to, to sustainability, right?
0: Absolutely. And, and uh, it's challenging, Scott, because you make it easy to return and people do. Right, you know, it, and, and that's that's just a byproduct. So it's we've created that culture of entitlement. So people overorder. It's a given. People order what they don't need. They overorder because they want to touch it. They want to feel it. They want to see it up close, and then make a decision. So they right. did lean on these easy return policies, and now it's gotten very costly. And the other factor, as you said, related to sustainability, is what happens with all of this stuff. You know, if you think about it, Scott. We had a major supply chain hiccup last year. Major. We also had nearly a trillion dollars of return goods that was not available for sale because wow. it was somewhere in the returns world. And, and you think about that. That's a trillion dollars worth of retail sales stolen because people were sitting on three or four sweaters and and, you know, just to try different colors and sizes. So now you're talking about what do you really need? Not just what you want to sample and take a look at at home. But that's that's the core of circularity. And Scott, we've made this joke before. I've been accused of being anti-capitalist because I want to slow down the returns. And and for some people, it's like, well, no, that's their bread and <laughs> butter. Well, no, let's there will be plenty of returns no matter what. But if we could really focus on that major supply chain hiccup, part of it was was factored because people had so much inventory in transit, right. in somebody's home, on the way back, in a return center that could have been sold as new to somebody else. The impact is being recognized in so many ways now. As you know, I mean, you, you've talked about the supply chain hiccups for so long that we forget about this factor of it. And that's a that's a big challenge that's out there that's now being addressed. In fact, it's on the peripheral still, Scott. Some other cool things like you can know with your systems that you're getting something back and you might have another customer for it. And you can short circuit that whole process. Now there's some risk of is that product gonna still be like new? And there's there's some of that, but it's still a cool opportunity to just directly go from a return into someone else's hands right that's going to take a while but they're getting there and the other cool one that we haven't seen enough of yet scott that avatar concept of what's your body type and will these things fit you mm. you know there's that challenge how do you get something in the apparel industry of the shoes industry how are you going to know that's gonna comfortably fit you. And so these avatar software are being developed and they've got a ways to go, but they're cool, Scott. When they happen, they'll be very cool, but we've got a ways to go.
1: Well, we can all appreciate that because we have a lot more heavy lifting. However, I'm a big believer that we gotta celebrate the wins and we have come so far, it feels like in the last several years, maybe a lot longer. And you know, we love cool, good news here. There's a lot more startup plays in the reverse space. I love that. There's a lot more new technologies developed specifically for the returns and reverse space. I love that. Obviously, policies are changing, including from some of the biggest movers and shakers that have that big ripple effect across industry. I, for one, really appreciate that because of what that's going to enable. And finally, uh, and and you shared many more than this, but the, the behaviors that we've tolerated, encouraged it's probably a better word, yeah. encourage for a long time, those are going to be changing. And, and you know, as consumers, and we're, we're going to talk about this here next, we're all consumers, right? We all have to be more responsible because we play a big role in global supply chain. And if we want it on the sustainability side and, and the ESG side and, and to protect our, our planet, man, a lot of that starts with decisions we make day in and day out. Yep. As consumers. So. Um, all right. So you got me excited, Tony. I love what you bring to the table. Let's talk about a challenge from Tony Sharota. Right. A challenge from Tony Sharota. I'm going to go back to the, my go to here, Tony. You know, the Waldorf Astoria up in yep. New York City. Right. Yeah. Big, gorgeous banquet room. Let's say Tony Sharota keynoting like you do oftentimes. And you've got the captive attention in this big old room of the world's biggest, most robust companies. And your big thrust as you as you give your keynote is you want to challenge these business leaders to think about reverse logistics and returns management much differently. What would that challenge look and sound like, Tony?
0: Well, there's so many ways to go on this, Scott, but I think the first thing I'd do is I'd ask them to raise their hands, those leaders who have companies who have someone in charge of returns. At the VP level, Mm. honestly, it should be at the C-suite level, but let's just settle for the returns vice presidents, reverse logistics. I'll bet you if there's 500 leaders in the room, you might get 20, maybe. Mm. And I only know of five vice presidents of returns and reverse logistics. So that's, that's where it's got to start. Take it seriously and recognize that it's not just about losing money on returns. It's about losing customers. And if you hit them on the head with that, that customers return 75% of the time because of unmet expectations. So if you want customer loyalty, if you want that customer to keep coming back to you, make him happy. Give them what they need more than what they want. Give them what they need and over deliver. Hmm. So put someone in charge, you know, put your hands up if you've got a vice president and then put your hands down unless you have a C-level person. And then the room's empty, right? Scott, (laughs) because nobody's, I I have not found a C-level person there. Not yet. Thank you, Scott. That's exactly the way I would challenge those leaders. Not yet. Who's going to be first? We do have a um, head of circular economy at Cisco, our old friend, Jack Allen, who was one of your first guests with us, right?
1: Oh, Jack's awesome. Jack is awesome.
0: But I don't know if he's C-level yet. We got to get him there somehow. We got to get him officially C-level, but it's that easy. Put somebody in charge. And of course, that challenge too, Scott, back to the education thing in a few minutes, is how do you put someone in charge if they don't have the experience? And we already said, if they come out of finance and service, that's not the ideal person to run a, a returns group, or reverse logistics group. But I think think that's the challenge I put out there. Make your customers happy so that they keep the stuff and put somebody in charge of returns to make them happy and make it flow easily. So love it. Um, that's the challenge.
1: I love it. And beyond that, I mean, we're seeing successful returns and reverse policies and approaches create revenue like you were speaking to earlier. That's uh, just, it adds to the value prop of why bring folks into, you know, get them at the leadership table so there's more visibility and purpose and results and action. The equation is certainly tipped in your favor, Tony. Let's get back to this consumers thing. A few weeks ago, by the time this interview publishes, and again, this is just my opinion. And Tony, if you want to agree with me, by all means. But my opinion as both a practitioner and a consumer, you know, here in the modern era of e-commerce it's been what I call the responsibility-free era for consumers. These returns policies have evolved to be so easy, but also they required no responsibility. I mean, the condition that these products come back in, um, how often things are able to be returned. And, and, you know, all this has led to, Tony, what industry and supply chain and business leaders have been fighting through is this tidal wave. Of returns, that is not only bad operationally and resource-wise, but but really bad and and counter-prevailing for the sustainability gains we've been trying to make that consumers also want. So, speak to the how and why. Reverse those. The why should consumers find more ways to reduce their returns, and how can they do that, Tony?
0: Well, Scott, it, it, I think they used the expression once, but I can use it again. The genie is out of the bottle. We have built this culture of entitlement mm. and and the wave of e-commerce growth because of the pandemic really drove that uh, spiked it on steroids that it shouldn't have happened. And by the way, not just in the past, but even in certain countries, the cultural differences are amazing. In our country, we've created the entitled consumer. E-commerce, as we all say and know, it's it's 25 to 35% return rates. It's easily 50% plus for apparel. So consumers are doing it because it's easy. However, you take a country like Japan, 200 million people, e-commerce is big. Their return rates with e-commerce is estimated around 1%. One, that's a single digit, <laughs> not 25 to 35%. That's a culture variance. Mm. And and even Asia in general, returns are far less because part of the culture, and this is also true in the Middle East, the culture is focused on if you buy something that you don't want, it's an insult to take it back. Hmm. That's a culture shift. And and we don't have anything like that culture here. But that culture is the, the standard in, in other countries. So not so much Europe, Europe's tending to follow our lead now, and Europe's a little more challenging, but in general, it's, it's the culture of entitlement that you create when you make it fast and easy for a consumer and you don't penalize them. Now the penalty starts with a $1 charge for dropping something off or a $2 charge for sending something back versus dropping off at a store. So there's, there's small incremental changes. But will that slow it down? Yes, it might. It'll at least have an impression. People won't recognize the number. They'll just think, oh, it's not as easy as it used to be. Okay, so that's a start. And consumers, though, they don't have enough tools when they go shopping online. The tools, Scott, you know what we're talking about. It's not just the size and the fit. It's that two-dimensional experience that we have gotten so used to, but we don't like it. At the end of the day, you and I would much rather be sitting down at lunch, talking to each other, shaking hands, than to do this on Zoom. But <laughs> the culture has forced it. And that's right. just the culture, but the, the the changes. So the consumers want to do the right thing, but it's too easy to do the wrong thing. <laughs> yes. So, yes. So there's there's a little chink in the armor again, in that some e-commerce retailers are tracking consumers who are belligerently returning excessive amounts and they're putting them on a watch list or a blacklist. And you don't hear about this. Who wants to go public with that information? Um, (laughs) That you're, you know, you're stopping some customers from buying stuff from you because they're
1: over the top on the returns and they're costing you more money. I can I can see the legal commercials uh, down down this angle already. Yeah. And
0: (laughs) so you have to be very careful about how you do that. But consumers should find ways to buy things better. But that takes time, Scott. And time is is one of the most precious commodities uh, for most of us in this country. Certainly we we think our time is so valuable. We don't want to spend time looking at the reviews. Of a given product right and you know scott i tend to look at the worst reviews sure as well as the best but i look right away at the one stars and see if i understand why it was a one star and and you can get some ideas from that but have consumers got the time to do this not so much it's different when you go in a store and you're walking up and down the aisles and and you're just it's 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 a three-dimensional experience this two-dimensional experience of shopping online is challenging. Again, there's no way to know how it's going to feel or how it's going to fit until it's actually in your home. And this is not just clothing. This is everything. Appliances, electronics, small appliances. And of course, the other side of it is the marketing aspect. Marketing, it was one of the reasons we learned at Philips that products were being returned. They're being over-marketed. People are promising that these things will do something like cure sleep insomnia and do all these magical things that they simply don't do. And now we've enabled them to say, no, I'm not going to put up with this. It doesn't do what I thought it would or what you told me would. I'm sending it back. So there's a combination of consumers want to do the right thing, but it takes time. And ultimately, do consumers see the difference it makes? It's a challenge to see it, right, Scott? Yes. Um, You know, it's like filling up your recycle bin in the backyard. Uh, In our case, we tend to fill the recycle bin more than we fill the trash bin. (laughs) But, you know, it and and it's like you feel good about yourself, maybe. But at the end of the day, is that stuff being really recycled or not? You know, it's kind of that. But consumers, can they find a way to reduce their returns? Absolutely. If they can give it a little more time. And that's that's the challenge. What's your time worth versus how easy is it to send it back if it's not what you want? Mm. And you've got to change the culture of the e-commerce retailers. And and I think I can say their name as well. The uh, the shoe company, Zappos. I mean, they they have no qualms about making returns available for a year after you buy a pair of shoes. That's that culture of entitlement. Right. So now every other e-commerce retailer is like, I got to compete with that. So... It's the challenge is consumers might want to do the right thing. You know, Scott, it's like going to the grocery store and you see the organic versus the non-organic. And and there's a there's a price differential, right? Organics usually more expensive, but it's healthier. So as that as that gap closes, people will lean more towards organic, healthier things. And the same for shopping online as it becomes less easy to return people will find ways to buy what they really think they want. Yeah. And so that's, that's the slow way to change the culture. Cause you know, you talked about some of the successes that have happened, uh, some of the improvements in supply chain that have happened. And yes, we're grateful for all those successes, but we've got the return side is the back end, right? It takes a little longer to catch up uh, and, and get the consumers to recognize that by the way, some other cool things about consumers, Scott, they're taking to that secondary market in some cases like fish to water. Sure. Right?
1: Yeah. The re economy, right. It's blowing up the, uh, vintage
0: clothing, the pre-owned Nike uh, Jordan airs that you can get for half the price. Cause they've been gently used or they've cleaned them up. So, and, <laughs> and those products actually get returned less, Scott, yeah. it's, it's crazy, but people in that value market, We see Goodwill stores are doing better. The secondary market, other retailers are doing well. They're growing because the second generations, millennials and so on, they're okay with this vintage stuff and they return it less because they know they already got a deal. They're not going to worry about returning it. They're just happy to get a deal on a Columbia jacket for half the price that sells in the store, but, and they are getting it from Columbia. So they feel a little safer and more secure. So That's another way to reduce returns is is do something like that with it because it will make a difference. Again, we were kidding about uh, It sounds anti capitalistic. You might sell less, but you might build better loyalty with your customers. And I think at the end of the day, returns are about something went wrong in the experience. That's that's the bottom line. Something went wrong in that customer experience. That they chose to return something Yep. at the end of the day returns are partly consumer responsibility but they need help from the retailers and the manufacturers i'm sorry you know i'm preaching to the choir sometimes <laughs> but uh, no
1: we, we all need to hear it more often because not enough is being done uh, in my view driven by the consumer to help make progress be made more impactfully and frankly, faster. And so to our listeners out there, hey, me and Tony aren't meaning to preach to our listeners, but and, and you know, Tony, I don't know about you. I point the finger at myself and, and my family. And we look, we look to, you know, start at home first. But everyone really wants to be part of the solution. We see more and more figures and polling and and research data around the purchase side. And what I'm hoping we see more gains on is on the the decision side, right? Where Great. folks, to your point. Hopefully folks are going to do more homework and spend a little more time deliberately to make sure they get what they want so that they can help not add to the tidal wave of products. Right. And, you know, Tony, one more thing, this just becomes a soapbox. I think for both of us, as we, as we get together, I see dear friends on my social feed, uh, especially folks that may not have ever been in in global supply chain. And and I'm gonna pick on these folks just for a second. So of course gains are being made from a boxing material standpoint so that you can right-size that, right? Yes. Uh, James Malley is one entrepreneur that comes to mind. Lots of folks are doing great things there. we got to get better. However, again, since Tony and I are talking consumers, and we're all consumers, and we all play a role whether we like it or not, please don't be that person. Please don't be that person that buys batteries for your, your garage door opener Right, and places that one order and have to get it next day from an Amazon. You're only going to increase your chances of getting that really tiny battery pack in a box with lots of stuffing when you probably could drive down the road and get it from Home Depot, or at least at least get it in a few days. Tony, is it just me that that dri- it drives me crazy when I see that? Tony, your thoughts?
0: Absolutely, Scott, and uh, and, and that that can lead to dissatisfaction because your expectations are higher. When you uh, And I, I heard this story yesterday, a colleague of mine, a neighbor who ordered a, a, a dog collar thing. He ordered it at 1030 in the morning. It was delivered to his house at one o'clock in the afternoon for $39. And I'm listening to that and I'm saying, Scott, that, that is not economically feasible. Right. But see, the, the race is how can you over deliver on delivery? rather than making sure they get what they want, what they need. Yes. When they really need it. Now, let's let's at least acknowledge again, they're the big guys. And Amazon shows you on the website when you order something to be delivered. They talk about I think it's Tuesday Amazon shipping Amazon Day. Yeah. 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 Combine your packages. We'll deliver them all on one day. And, And that's at least a start. We need more to do like that. And they will, they're going to follow because it's an e-commerce, uh, you know, giant and why not follow them just like the badges of, uh, frequently returned goods. So, um, so that, that, that will come Scott. Um, it's going to take time, like you said, but at least uh, there's some attempt, but you're going to set these expectations of having the delivery you needed for your uh, smoke detector for a battery, um, (laughs) to be there that afternoon. Why? Check the box says, let's deliver it all at once, you know, right,
1: <laughs> please. So as we finish this segment and come down to home stretch, we're going to talk talent before we uh, We wrap up here with Tony, but Hey, please start with awareness. Start with uh, understanding the massive challenge that global supply chains and, and organizations and their teams are hit with in terms of returns. Start with that awareness. And then Tony just shared a variety of ways. You can take simple steps. At playing a role in, in bringing that tidal wave down to maybe eventually maybe a little ripple. We'll see, Tony. We'll see how fast we can get there. Let's shift gears to talk talent. I loved how you shared your story on the front end about how you were tapped on the shoulder and <laughs> told, maybe is, a, is, a, is a, a phrase I like using and did big things at Phillips, right? Without that pedigreed or degreed, you know, reverse or returns background, right? You jumped in, to bring to create value, solve problems, drive innovation, tackle you know, returns challenges. And I think there's a lot more opportunities for that. However, as much as we can do that, to your point earlier about creating a real pipeline from programs that focus on returns management, reverse logistics, that's also a big opportunity. So speak to that. What needs to happen to increase this very focused returns and reverse pipeline?
0: Well, Scott, we, we've known each other, what, four years, at least, almost five years, and there's no other school offering a degree yet in reverse logistics <laughs> outside of American public university that some people don't consider a serious university, although it's funded mm-hmm. by the government for our veterans and our military returners and so on. There's not enough education there. And it bothered me and we have a number of academics in the association and I've asked them, I said, why aren't there more? And they said, and this is horrible business dictates that universities are measured by their graduates and their starting salaries. Mm. And there's not enough high demand in those positions in the business world to say, if you got a degree in reverse logistics, you'd have a starting salary of $125,000. And, and that's what the universities are forced to measure themselves by, how their graduates rates are and how much those graduates get when they get done with school. And, and that's the brick wall I ran into recognizing, yeah, there's not much we can do about that yet, but but very proud to say that we are in the process of developing relationships with Georgia Tech, American Public University, Auburn, Remade Institute to offer courses through our pipeline because people do come to us looking for that. So what we'll do is selectively talk to uh, Georgia Tech and say, okay, you have a class on forecasting returns as part of your supply chain. Let's take that piece and put it into the RL community, make it available, you know, $500 for the 16 hours, whatever it is. But let's, let's do that. So we are in the process right now of developing that pipeline. Uh, We wanted to connect to these different people, Uh, Remade has already worked with us on it because, and honestly, Georgia Tech, Remade, American Public University, it's still complicated to go to school and do all that stuff.
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: And so if we can offer those classes that are relevant, then people working in this space at various companies will have an opportunity to take just that class rather than go back to school for another degree. And, And certainly they don't want that. And, and by the way, it, it is our responsibility. It is the Reverse Logistics Association responsibility to drive this. And you know from your background between CSCMP and ASCM, they offer these certification programs. So it's all focused on forward. They do not have certifications for reverse. None of them.
1: Big opportunity. we got to address it.
0: Exactly. So with some extra resources later this year, Scott, we have hopes of really delivering a strong curriculum of courses between forecasting. How can you reduce returns? What do you do with them? And how do you get the highest asset recovery? Those are those are classes that need to be out there. And I'm proud to tell you Remate already has at least five or six classes. We just have to figure out how to build that, you know, the, the highway to connect us to them. And that's the technical stuff I don't know much about, but someone else does.
1: But it's gonna the need, the need, and the and the imperative for our industry, and and how we meet the demands, the growing demands of the modern day consumer on demanding sustainability, demanding on protecting our our planet, which I love. Yes. We can use that right to develop the talent and the know how and the technologies so that we can tackle returns. Not only returns. I'll defer to the expert here. The returns. It's kind of the reactive side, but going upstream, as you mentioned, circularity, so we can plan for more circularity as we develop products that will give us better options, more appealing options as they get to the life cycle, right?
0: Exactly. Reuse is is way better than recycling. Unfortunately, I've learned from my recycler community that it's more expensive to make something out of recycled products than it is to use new. Hmm. Um Virgin products, uh, Virgin resources. And we have to change that balance, Scott, right? Um, When it's cheaper to make new plastic versus recycling old plastic, that's, that's a disconnect that why would they recycle plastic? But as it comes closer, we'll see that improve too. But RL education, so what we wanna do, Scott, is we wanna be that place where the next time they tap somebody like Tony Sherod on the shoulder and say, go learn about returns and fix it, then they're going to be like, oh, there's this website with classes. I can learn something. So we're really excited about that. And, and Scott, I can promise your community it will happen this year.
1: Awesome. And, and I'm
0: very, very proud of that.
1: Man, Tony, that is great news. It's uh, great for interested parties that want a career. It's great for For those volunteer, professional volunteers that get tasked with this stuff, and perhaps the best is it's it's really good and great for industry, and it's going to help us move forward, which we got to do. We got to find ways of making bigger gains. So, hey, Tony Schroeder, I really enjoy not only your friendship, but I enjoy your leadership of what you're doing in this underappreciated, underrecognized part of global business. We're going to play our part, continue to get the word out there, and, and hopefully really wage the war when it comes to the awareness battle, which which it is very real and palpable. Big thanks to your team, too, who don't get enough credit. Um, you know, the ones that come out and create these learning opportunities, create the, the conferences, and, and and by doing so, they create conversations that will drive change inevitably sooner rather than later. So big thanks to Tony Shiroda, Executive Director with the Reverse Logistics Association. Tony, we got to do this again soon. Yeah.
0: We will. And, um, Scott, we are doing it in Amsterdam, June 13th okay. and 14th, the RLA EMEA Summit. We actually have people from the Middle East and Africa joining us in Amsterdam. So that's happening. Uh, we return to Atlanta in September with a leadership summit focused on you know developing more of these initiatives. So that's happening. And everything that we talked about, Scott, because we're an association, if they simply go to rla.org, they can find a lot of this information, rla.org. And I'm on there somewhere along with my board and the management team, our emails are there. They can spend hours there learning a lot, even with without the courses being featured there yet. So I'd encourage any of, of your community, And again, appreciate your community is paying attention to this. And and Scott, again, you're one of the only voices out there in in this uh, live stream area that's giving this information to people on a regular basis. And what I look forward to, Scott, is later this year, we need to find some new industry thought leaders, right? You bet. We've we've had all of the great ones. Um, Now we have to find some new great ones. And and, uh, we've got some coming, Scott. That's always
1: a challenge career, not just finding, but empowering new voices that will uh, drive new change uh, and new ideas in the industry. So I love that, Tony Shrota, Folks, RLA.org. You can check out Tony, friends, board members, opportunities, and and even chat music, really in a savvy <laughs> way uh, with Tony Shrota with RLA. Tony, thank you so much for joining us here today, as always. Thank you,
0: Scott. It's always great with you.
1: All right, folks, to our listeners out there, viewers out there, all of our global community members, hey, thank you for being a part of this conversation. I hope you enjoyed this conversation uh, as much as I have. It's all about, man, when we we talk about the phrase of deeds, not words, there are so many opportunities day in and day out for all of us as consumers and as practitioners to do something about this challenge, right? It's not everyone else's responsibility. We've got to own it. So, hey, with that said, Scott Loon challenging all of our listeners out there do good get forward, be the change that's needed. And with that said, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.